thank you for joining us here this morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are guests with us today. My name is Alex. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church. We're thrilled if you're joining us here for the very first time, especially if this is your first time ever or first time in a long time in a church setting. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What we are all about here is connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other so together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning, especially if this is your first time here with us. Uh, thanks to Emma Kate for reading today's passage. We're going to be in John 11. If you're just joining us, we are halfway through a series called Step Into the Story. You've got a story. I got a story. Hopefully you've got some ups, guaranteed plenty of downs with no guarantees of happily ever after. But for 2,000 years, all kinds of personalities, all kinds of problems, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of trauma, every culture around the world, people have found that by joining their story with the story of Jesus, it introduces a new power, a new redemption, a new energy, a new salvation, a new grace in this life on into eternity with guaranteed happily ever after forever and ever, ever. The invitation throughout the course of the series is to step into this magnificent story. Today we're talking about belief. And here's a little question for you. Have you ever believed something wrongly about someone? Like uh, someone you knew, someone you loved, and you thought they did something, or you thought they were a certain type of person, and then you acted on that belief, and how did it turn out for you? How did it turn out for them? When we believe something that's wrong and we act on it, it almost always introduces, at the very least, embarrassment. Sometimes it introduces all kinds of pain and heartache and trauma. And then, conversely, have you ever been in the minority believing something? Like, you knew something was true. You were certain of it. Everyone around you disagreed and didn't believe you, but you turned out to be right. Isn't it awesome to be right? So great to be right, right? But listen, it's not just awesome to be right because we like being right, although that's a good feeling. It's also awesome to be right because when you believe rightly, you act rightly, which results in good outcomes, right? Wrong belief leads to wrong action, which has consequences. The, the philosopher and Christian uh, kind of thinker, uh, Dallas Willard, said this. He said, our lives run on the rails of belief, that whatever we believe, we act on, we live out. And so his, his proposal was this, that if you believe accurately, you live rightly with the best possible outcomes because you're actually aligned with reality, right? If you believe rightly, not accurately, if you're accurate in your beliefs, then you act rightly, which leads to the best possible outcomes because you're actually acting in line with reality. And conversely, if you believe wrongly, you act wrongly. Like, like the thing that you thought was true about your friend or your family member that turned out not to be true. You act kind of in ways that has consequences, not because the world's out to get you, but because reality just is. And it's unflinching and it doesn't budge, right? Reality does not budge. It's really annoying that way. It's very stubborn that way. So the question is this, what do you believe? What do you believe is true about your employer, about your family member, about the government, about the economy, right? What you believe to be true about the media, what you believe to be true about any number of things is going to dictate sort of the decisions you make, the actions you take, and how you relate to the world around you. But even more importantly than that is what do you believe to be true about you? Ever known someone who believed they were a great singer and they weren't such a great singer? Right? What do you believe to be true about you, about your gifts, about your abilities, about who you are, about why you're on the planet, about what you were made to do? Do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? Do you think of yourself more lowly than you ought? Either way, you're going to act out of line with reality, and you might make mistakes along the way. And most importantly, what do you believe to be true about God, about who God is, about 
whether or not God's involved in your life at all. What God thinks about you particularly, or even if there's a God at all. What you believe to be true is going to drive how you act, right? Listen, some of the worst decisions you've made in your life because you believe something that weren't, was not true, turned out to be not true. Some of the most embarrassing moments, some of the worst moments in your life. You believe something, you committed yourself to it, you acted in light with it, and it was wrong. And conversely, some of the best decisions you've made in your life, maybe the person you married, you believe them to be a certain type of person, and they turn out to be that type of person. And that's been one of the greatest gifts you've ever, you've ever made, the best decisions you've ever made in your life. Our lives run on the rails of our beliefs. And so when John writes his biography of Jesus, he puts belief front and center over and over and over again. John's whole goal in writing the biography of Jesus is that we might believe and know who Jesus actually is. That he's the son of God, that he's come into the world to bring salvation and redemption into the world. Because if we believe that, if we put our faith and belief in that, it unlocks a whole bunch of grace, mercy, life-changing power in this life, and a redemptive story all the way into eternity. When we put our faith and hope in the Lord, when we believe who Jesus is and we believe accurately who he is, it changes everything in this life and into the next. But here's the deal. Belief is hard, right? Faith is a hard work. And we're changing. Our, our lives change. We face different challenges along the way. And few things are harder to hold on to kind of faith and belief in the middle of than disappointment, heartache, and setback. Have you ever had a season where you had a hard time believing God was good because this happened? Have you ever had a hard time? You've had a hard time trusting or believing that God is faithful or what the scriptures say he is. Because of some disappointment, setback, or heartache. It's like the New York, New York of a faith walk, right? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. John 11, the story we're looking at today, it's all about how Jesus meets Mary, Martha, and even poor dead old Lazarus in the middle of a whole lot of disappointment. In the middle of a whole lot of disappointment, heartache, and sadness. And today we're going to kind of learn how do you lean into faith? How do you lean into Jesus even when he's disappointed you? That's the place we're going to go to today as we get to John chapter 11. Now the story opens as John's writing the story with how close Jesus was to this family that we just talked about. John 11 verse 2 starts with this. This Mary, his brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love, is sick. All kinds of love for this family. When he heard this, Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son might be glorified through it. And then later, John just spells it out. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so. And so now it's time for one of our favorite games around here, Bible Mad Libs. What should be on the other side of this so? What should be on the other side of this so? Listen, this is Jesus we're talking about. He helps random strangers all the time with sickness. He's always healing people. He's always fixing people. He's always coming to the rescue. And he loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So he knows these people. All the more reason why Jesus should do this. Jesus hustled post-haste to Bethany to help his friend Lazarus. Right? That's what we expect from Jesus to do. But he doesn't do it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two long, hard, for Lazarus and his sister's days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jesus doesn't hustle. He waits. 
And then he says, let's go back to Judea. His disciples freak out because Judea, not a safe space for Jesus. They've tried to stone him there. It's a, it's, it's, it's a place where there's a lot of tension around Jesus. And then Jesus breaks the news to them. Hey, guess what? Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I am going there to wake him up. The disciples, they don't get it. Hey, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus means he's dead. So he tells them because they're slow. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Because your lives run on the rails of belief. What you believe to be true about Jesus is maybe the most important thing that you could possibly believe or know to be true. Next summer, Summer Olympics, Paris 2024. All kinds of people all across the country, you know what they're doing. They're making sacrifices. They're waking up early, they're staying up late, they're working out, they're giving up time, energy, sacrificing comfort to train and train and train, to try to compete, to be the best in their events. They are making sacrifices because here's what we believe to be true. Proper sacrifices lined up in a good direction results in a good future, right? You sacrifice now something that you like for something, think of something better in the future, a gold medal. Much of our lives are about what are you going to sacrifice now for a better future, right? Can you, are you, are you sacrificing the right things in the right directions to produce good outcomes, right? Parenting is one long slog of sacrifice over and over and over again. I think it's mostly worth it. It's a sacrifice to not spend all your money, to save some money for retirement. Listen, so much of a good life is about are you making the right sacrifices today for a better future tomorrow? Here's what's crazy about this story. Jesus sacrifices Lazarus, literally. He could stop it. He doesn't do it. He sacrifices Lazarus, lets him die, and his sisters are suffering in order to do something different than bring straight healing. Now, you can read that one of two ways. Either Jesus is being really cruel and really heartless in the situation, or, or maybe some things are worse than suffering and death. Maybe, maybe something is worse than suffering or death. Maybe something's even worse than suffering and death. Now, it's really important that we caveat this, right? Jesus alleviates suffering all the time. Like, almost every miracle he does is alleviating suffering. Over and over and over again, he alleviates suffering. This story is different. It pops because it's different. Why? Why does Jesus not alleviate suffering and death for this person, he tells us why. What could possibly be more important than saving someone from dying, a friend from dying? What we believe to be true about Jesus. That's actually more important. That's actually more important than even suffering and death. See, my friends, maybe in the rank ordering of what we think is the worst thing possible, what was most important, maybe we, maybe we got it all wrong. Maybe, just maybe, suffering and death isn't the worst thing. Maybe knowing the one who has the power and authority over suffering and over death, maybe that's more important. Maybe knowing the one, knowing who Jesus is, maybe knowing and believing that Jesus actually has the power and the keys to unlock and to overcome any suffering and all death, to redeem every suffering and all death, maybe that's actually more essential, more crucial than us being spared suffering and death. My friends, if someone has come to conquer death, our greatest enemy, that's good news, amen? What if death doesn't have the last word over you anymore? What if death doesn't have the last word over your life, your kids' lives, your parents, 
people that you love? What if there's a power introduced by God into the world, into our little Petri dish, where we're all kind of fiddling about, trying to make our way about? What if there's been a power introduced by God to bring something to bear, to even solve the problem of death, so it no longer has the victory over us anymore? Jesus is allowing, Jesus is allowing this thing to happen in order that his disciples and everyone around him might believe that he is the one who has power and authority over your worst enemy and my worst enemy. And this would be monstrously terrible, awful, painful, heartbreaking, except that if it's true, we need to know it and believe it. If it's true that believing in Jesus unlocks life everlasting here and now, if it's true that believing in Jesus unlocks an eternity of joy and peace and grace forevermore that you can't even begin to fathom, if it's true that this life is a blip and eternity is forever and that there's a path and a way that we might know eternity forever and ever and the joy forever and ever, if it's true that death no longer has the last word over you and me, that is the best news and the greatest thing that God has ever done. The second thing that maybe takes the sting and the edge off this a little bit, is this. Just a few weeks after Jesus lets Lazarus die, he himself is going to lay down his life for you and for me to ensure that death no longer has the last word over you and me. Jesus here is going to write this resurrection story just a few weeks before he himself jumps into the grave to suffer his own death and then write his own resurrection story that sets us free from the power of death and loss forever and ever. So after waiting a couple days, Jesus goes and makes his way to Bethany. And on his arrival, Jesus finds that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four long days. Now, of course, this makes you think of the Princess Bride, obviously, right? Princess Bride, one of the greatest cult classic movies of all time. Billy Crystal speaks to weary characters, weary people who are travelers. They have their friend who is dead. And Billy Crystal announces profoundly, turns out your friend here is only mostly dead. See, mostly dead is still slightly alive. And of course, he resurrects and they'll live happily ever after there in the Princess Bride. So here's the reason why four days is important. The, the ancient Jews thought that after someone died, their spirit hovered for three days. So when Jesus arrives on the fourth day, he's not just mostly dead. He's all the way dead. Lazarus is super duper dead. Now, at this point, Jesus has some very moving interactions with the two sisters, Martha and Mary. Now, we meet Martha and Mary at a couple different places in the Gospels. And they have these beautiful, distinctive uh, kind of characteristics, okay? Martha is the doer. She's always doing, doing, doing. And Mary's the contemplative, thoughtful one. And we love them both. But when Jesus arrives, true to character, Martha goes to meet him. And Mary stays home and contemplates and thinks on deep thoughts, whatever she's doing. So Martha races out to meet Jesus, right? And she has this conversation. And in my small group this past week, we decided that Martha is the patron saint of overachievers and overfunctioners everywhere. You're welcome. So Martha arrives, and she's got a lot to say to Jesus. And they have this really interesting conversation. But before she gets there, here's where they are. Here's where the sisters are. They are experiencing one of the biggest losses of their lives. Their brother just died, and so that's hard and heartbreaking, but there's another layer to this. They sent word to Jesus, come and help us, and you know what Jesus did? Jesus no-showed. Jesus no-showed. So now, not only do they have the trauma of 
losing their brother and that heartache, they had the question, what did we do about Jesus? We asked him to come. He didn't come. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a place, those of you who've been Christians for a long time, have you ever been in a place where Jesus no-showed on you? You asked. He could have fixed it. You know he could have fixed it. He could have done something. You prayed and prayed and prayed. He no-showed. What do you do when Jesus no-showed? I don't do that. I don't deal with that very well, personally. When I'm in a place where I'm praying and praying and praying and I know that Jesus could do something, and this seems to me like something that Jesus should want to do, that he should want to sort of intervene on. When he doesn't show up, I have a really, really hard time not just hardening my heart and getting angry and frustrated or sort of pulling away from the Lord. But what's so striking to me about this story is how Mary and Martha show up after Jesus no-showed. Here's Jesus' interaction with Martha. Here's how Martha leads off. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, there's that word, will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. My friends, what's Jesus' goal? What's he want to do? What's he want to bake into the people? Belief three times. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives by believing me will never, ever die. And he pitches this question to Martha. He says, do you believe this? Because, my friends, this is the most important question in your life you'll ever answer. So i got to pitch it to you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that believing in this, that this question is actually more important than whether you live or die even today? That what you believe about this is actually the answer, the, the question that hangs over your eternal experience forever and ever. Amen. Do you believe that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. It is the most important question you could possibly wrestle over, answer, or ask. Ultimately, your life is going to run on the rails of what you believe about life, what makes for a good life, what's important about life, and what you believe about death, what happens when you die. Jesus has come to have the last word over all these things. Jesus himself is the life. He's come to redefine what life looks like. He is, life is in him, and he's come to conquer death. And believing in this and wrestling with this is so important that he's willing to let his friend temporarily die and his sisters temporarily suffer in order to foster, to invite them into this crucial question. Are you willing to put all the eggs in this basket of Jesus being who he says he is? Do you believe this? Because here's the thing. The whole world tells you nothing worse than suffering and death. And Jesus says, not true. Not true. There are worse things than suffering and death. What's true, what's true, what's worse about suffering and death is life and death apart from Jesus. That's the worst possible thing. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives by believing in him will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in him will never die. Are you willing to believe it? Because if you do, you know what? There's no midlife crisis. When is midlife in eternity? 
At what point you hit midlife in eternity? At what point you start to get anxious about the clock ticking about your body? When you're going to live forever? So much freedom here, my friends. So much freedom. So many things war against you actually believe in this. What Christian, not a Christian, not sure what you believe. So many things that war against you hearing this. Just hear Jesus' bold, audacious statement. He is the resurrection and the life. You put your belief in him, it unlocks this life and the next life for you into eternity. This is the most important question you could possibly answer. Now, after this little interaction with Martha and Jesus, she goes against Mary. And Mary's much more contemplative. She's much quieter. She's much simpler. When Mary gets to the place where Jesus was, she falls at his feet. Like, this is honor, reverence, worship. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So let's go back to our initial question, right? Jesus just no-showed. The brother just died. He didn't come when they asked him to. And, they, and Jesus finally shows up. And you know how Mary and Martha show up? They're not angry. They're not aggressive. They're not passive-aggressive. They're not making jabs. They are honest. They are, they are heartbroken. They're vulnerable. They are upset. They are still hopeful. They're still even worshipful, even in the midst of their disappointment with Jesus. I want to be like them when I grow up. So beautiful. So here's the question, because this is so important. What do you do? How do you trust Jesus on the other side of disappointment with Jesus? The only way you do it is by some practices that help you to guard your hearts from resentment. The only way that you continue to, to sort of trust in the Lord in the midst of being disappointed in the Lord is when you have practices in place that help you to guard from resentment that keep you from sort of cycling through the internal kind of dialogue over and over and over again about how frustrated you are with the Lord. Now these are very, this is very important, it's very hard, and we don't know exactly what Mary and Martha did, right? We don't know exactly what Mary and Martha did, we don't have record of this. But this is such an important thing, I want to do a quick aside on it, because at some point, if you walk with Jesus long enough, you're going to hit disappointment with the Lord. So what are you going to do? How do you steward those days, those hours, in a way that doesn't make your heart heart, your heart, your heart hardened and keeps you soft toward the Lord? Now, we get lots of other stories throughout the scriptures of people who wrestle with disappointment with the Lord. When God doesn't show up or God's kind of struggling. And one of the, the most helpful people is King David, an ancient king of Israel. And part of what's so helpful about him is he, like, he wrote all these songs, all these poems. He basically writes these, like, journal entries and turns them into poetry. And they sang, we've, we've prayed them for thousands of years. And one of the things you see throughout King David's experience when he's disappointed with God is he's got a couple of practices that you see him intentionally engage in to keep his heart soft in the midst of disappointment with the Lord. I'm going to give you what these two practices are. One is a certain type of prayer. And this, this prayer has two parts to it. It's a two-part prayer. One is honest about present pain, but then also remembering past faithfulness. Right? Honest about present pain. God, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm disappointed in you. Good news, some of you grew up in really religious households where there are certain things you don't say to God. You'll say it to everybody else, but not God. So first off, that's a little weird, right? Because God knows what you're saying to other people. Some of you who grew up in really religious households where there are certain things you don't say to God, I've got good news. You can say anything to God. He can take it. God can handle your anger, your sadness, your frustration. God can handle it. You see it in the Psalms all the time as David's sort of processing his own grief. Honest about present pain. But in the midst of that, we also have to cultivate a remembrance of God's past faithfulness, right? God, you have been faithful in the past. Over and over and over again, David will recite and remember. Because here's the deal. We all have short spiritual memories, right? We all have short spiritual memories. 
And we all suffer from the recency effect. Whatever I've experienced most recently is the most sort of true or definitive thing along the way. And finally, we're all wired up to feel pain at a higher level than we feel goodness, right? Pain registers at a nine, goodness registers at like a five, right? That's just different. We, just, we experience, we process pain. We're wired up to try to avoid pain. So we have these sensors that are very, very sensitive to pain and less sensitive to goodness. And so we have to work hard at reciting and remembering how has God been faithful? How has God been faithful? How has God been faithful? Honest about present pain. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I am disappointed and heartbroken about this. And remembering God's past faithfulness. Yet I will remember how you've been good to me in the past. This is, these are important sort of steps in prayer to keep us oriented faithfully around the Lord in the midst of disappointment and heartbreak. Now, the second thing you see throughout the Psalms, particularly in the midst of sort of disappointment, is worship. Worship. Like, worship is all about God, God's character, God's essence, God's goodness, the goodness of God. And sort of intentionally worshiping the Lord is a great way to kind of pull yourself out of my little story, my little problem, my little situation. Sometimes I need to be kind of pulled out to see the goodness of God, even in the midst of my situation. Because here's the deal. You don't want to build your life around your pain. You want to build your life around the goodness of God. Do you know people who built their whole lives around the pain? It's a pretty hard way to live. Pain is real. Loss is real. You don't want to build your life around pain. You want to build your life around the goodness of God, the power of God, the love of God. Worship helps us to do that. Now, worship isn't just singing, thank goodness, because some of us don't like to sing, and frankly, some of you should not sing. Less singing would be good for you. But worship is just a good thing that we, we, we engage in, an intentional practice of naming the goodness of God. One time I was in my, I, I journal a lot, and I, I'm, a, I'm a journaler, and one time I realized I was in a rut in my journal where I was complaining a lot and whining a lot and asking for a lot of the same stuff over and over again. So I set a new rule for myself. Every other day in my journal, I was not allowed to ask for anything. I could only praise God and thank God. That's all I could do for like every other day for a couple weeks. It was so refreshing. God, you're good. God, you're perfect. God, you're holy. God, you're righteous. God, you are glorious. God, you are king of kings. Lord Jesus, you are king of kings, Lord of lords. You are the savior, the redeemer, the healer. You're my friend. I give you thanks for all these things. It was such a refreshing experience to stop complaining about my problems or stop asking God for my stuff and just worship the Lord. Honest prayer. Here's what I'm disappointed in. Here's what's hard. Here's how you've been faithful. And then worship, intentionally remembering the goodness of God. These things keep our hearts soft and keep us oriented to the Lord even in the midst of disappointment with God. That helps you show up the way that Mary and Martha do here. Now, it's important to see that Jesus doesn't, is not unmoved by all the pain he sees around him, right? Jesus doesn't float through life. He feels, right? He's actually fully human. He experiences it. And so even though Jesus is 100% on board with what he's doing, even though he's doing this on purpose, he is still moved by what he sees when he gets to Mary and Martha, this is the passage here. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had been long, come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now, at this point, Jesus is ready to do the miracle he came here for. He's ready to do the miracle, but he's going to ask them to participate in one small little way, one little step of faith. Here's a step of faith. Take away the stone, he said. <laughs> but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you what? Believe, you will see the glory of God. 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may what? Seven times in one story. Believe, believe, believe that you have sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So Jesus wants to do a miracle. There's just one small thing they got to do, one small step of crazy faith. Take away the stone. Martha, the verbal doer, says, it's going to stink. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. See, moving the stone's not the hard part, right? Rolling away stone's a little heavy, not the hard part. Sending the email, making the phone call, asking for the conversation, it's not the hard part. Believing that God might work on your behalf after you take this crazy step of faith that makes no earthly sense, that's the hard part, right? But here's the thing. Belief is not just about head space. It's not just like believing something in theory in your head, right? Belief in action is the gateway that releases the glory of God into our lives and into the world. Belief in action, steps of faith, sometimes things that make no earthly sense, like take away the stone after he's been dead for four days. Belief in action is the thing, is the gateway through which the glory of God gets poured into your life and into the world. And so there's an invitation to take this step of faith. They believe just enough. They roll away the stone. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. My friends. We've all experienced loss along the way, right? You've all experienced loss along the way. You've lost people that you love, to be sure. But there's other losses we experience along the way, too. Friendships. Sometimes marriages. Sometimes relationships that we cared about and loved. Sometimes grown kids that we haven't reconciled with. Sometimes there's hobbies or careers or dreams or hopes that we had that have died along the way. And some of those needed to die, right? Some of those needed to die, needed to go away so that God could do the thing he wanted to do. So some things need to die in our lives. But, my friends, not all of it. And not everything. And this morning, as we look at this story, I want to invite you to ask the question, is there anything from your bin of experiences of things that have died along the way that Jesus might want to resurrect here, Easter 2023? Is there anything that you feel like is way dead, way, way, way dead, not just mostly dead, all the way dead? In your bin of previous experiences that has not been redeemed, that has not like God, oh yeah, I see what God was doing, it makes sense, I see it now, it all is like, okay. Is there anything that is, that is dead that you feel like, man, what if the Lord might want to resurrect that thing, that relationship? What if the Lord might want to sort of bring this old interest or this career or this hobby back to life? What if God might want to actually have me step into this thing that I sort of took some steps into, I prayed about it and nothing happened and it didn't work out and maybe, I guess it's not the thing and I'm not sure what was going on with that. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, is there a dream or a hope or a relationship that the Lord might want to resurrect in your life this season, 2023, and then you got because you got a whole bunch of those things, right, that have died along the way. So that's a great prayer, Lord, is there anything here that you might want to resurrect? And then the next prayer is, Lord, I'm willing to take away the stone. I'm willing to send the email. I'm willing to look in and see if there's a program at Central Carolina Community College. I'm willing to I'm willing to make a phone call. I'm willing to have the meeting. I'm willing to sort of stir this back up. I'm willing to take whatever small step of faith. That's actually not that hard to sort of send an email or make a phone call or step in and think, but man, there's so much anxiety around it. Lord, I'm willing to take away the stone and take any step of faith. That's where we're going to land here as we get to today's wildly important take-homes. I want to invite you to ask the question, is there anything that Jesus might want to resurrect in your life this season? 
And are you open to the step of faith that might require, that he might invite you into in order to do so? Today's wildly important take on so I want to touch this real quick because it's so, so important. So important, right? Our lives are on the rails of our beliefs. Right act, uh, accurate belief leads to right action equals the best possible outcomes because you're actually aligned with reality. Believe wrongly, you act wrongly. There are consequences, not because the world's out to get you, but just because the world is, right? This is so critical to what Jesus is doing, to how the world works, to why belief is so important throughout the Gospels. And so it's really important we understand that belief is actually the core of so much of the work that Jesus invites us into. The one, prompt number one I want to invite you to consider and pray about is this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? If you're here today, not a Jesus person. So glad that you're here. Do you believe this? If you're here today and you are a Jesus person, all kinds of things kind of mitigate more against you actually believing, actually living a life of belief. Do you believe this? Second prompt, I'll invite you to process this point with Jesus and kind of healthy practices. Two-part prayers, one's honest about pain, remembering past faithfulness, and then engaging in intentional worship because you don't want your pain to be the center of your life. You want the goodness of God to be the center of your life. And then finally, is there anything that Jesus might want to resurrect in you this season, Easter season 2023? Is there anything that Jesus might want to sort of bring back up, something that's even been long dead, really dead for a long time, that he might want to raise back up in your life this Easter season? And then is there any step that he might be inviting you to take to release the glory of God into your life and into the world? Listen, some of you, like, you could spend all week or more in one of these prompts. And so uh, I, I, we've actually made double of our little wildly important take-home sheets for you here in, in person so that you might actually, I want to invite you to really pray about this and take these in. But as we close this morning, I'm going to move now to a time of prayer. I'm going to pray really briefly, and then I'm going to give you one minute of some quiet before the Lord. I just want to invite you to take one of these prompts, whichever one sort of is resonating with you, whichever one sort of is sort of sitting in your heart and your soul, and say, all right, Lord, is there something you want to do here in my life in this way? Is there a place where the Lord might be inviting you to step into the story in, this, in some beautiful ways, maybe some risky ways, maybe some ways you wouldn't have expected or anticipated? Is there work you need to do before the Lord? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for just a bit, and I'm going to give you a minute of silence to do whatever business you need to do with the Lord. Let's go and pray as we step into this beautiful story. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being patient with us in our journey and in our walks. Thank you that you meet us in vulnerable times and in hard times. And Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you can handle our disappointment, our frustration. Thank you that you invite us to believe rightly and accurately. Lord Jesus, thank you that you resurrect and redeem old things. And so now, Lord Jesus, would you meet my friends here as we all take just one minute to sit with one of these prompts and do some business before you.
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take these prayers, lead us on a journey of prayer, of building up belief in you. Help us to grow in our belief in you, our trust in you. There's all kinds of things that war against it. Help us, Lord Jesus, to process disappointment well, faithfully, that, that our pain would not be the centerpiece of our lives, but your goodness might be, your grace might be, your love might be the center of our lives. And then, Lord Jesus, we long to see the glory of God released into our lives and into the world. So, Lord, if there's a step of faith you want us to take, give us the courage, the wisdom, ears to hear. Help us to step into that work of faith, that act of faith. Give us the courage and strength to step into your story and see what you might want to resurrect in us. We ask these things in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.